Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. And a short story from one of our favorite authors, Jack London. This one's called Dutch Courage. Hope you enjoy it. Just our luck. Gus Lafee finished wiping his hands and sullenly threw the towel upon the rocks. His attitude was one of deep dejection. The light seemed gone out of the day and the glory from the golden sun. Even the keen mountain air was devoid of relish, and the early morning no longer yielded its customary zest. "'Just our luck,' Gus repeated, this time avowedly for the edification of another young fellow who was busily engaged in sousing his head in the water of the lake. "'What are you grumbling about, anyway?' Hazard Van Dorn lifted a soap-rimmed face questioningly. His eyes were shut. "'What's our luck?' "'Look there!' "'Gus threw a moody glance skyward. "'Some duffers got ahead of us. "'We've been scooped, that's all.' "'Hazard opened his eyes "'and caught a fleeting glimpse of a white flag "'waving arrogantly on the edge of a wall of rock "'nearly a mile above his head. "'Then his eyes closed with a snap "'and his face wrinkled spasmodically. "'Gus threw him the towel "'and uncommiseratingly watched him wipe out the offending soap. "'He felt too blue himself to take stock in trivialities.' Hazard groaned. "'Does it hurt? Much?' Gus queried, coldly, without interest, as if it were no more than his duty to ask after the welfare of his comrade. "'Yeah, I guess it does,' responded the suffering one. "'Soap's pretty strong, eh? Noticed it myself.' Uh, "'Tisn't the soap. It's... it's that.' He opened his reddened eyes and pointed toward the innocent white little flag. "'That's what hurts.' Gus Lafee did not reply, but turned away to start the fire and begin cooking breakfast. His disappointment and grief were too deep for anything but silence, and Hazard, who felt likewise, never opened his mouth as he fed the horses, nor once laid his head against their arching necks or passed caressing fingers through their manes. The two boys were blind, also, to the manifold glories of Mirror Lake, which reposed at their very feet. Nine times! Had they chosen to move along its margin the short distance of a hundred yards, could they have seen the sunrise repeated? Nine times, from behind as many successive peaks, could they have seen the great orb rear his blazing rim? And nine times, had they but looked into the waters of the lake, could they have seen the phenomena reflected faithfully and vividly? But all the titanic grandeur of the scene was lost to them. They had been robbed of the chief pleasure of their trip to Yosemite Valley. They had been frustrated in their long-cherished design upon half-dome, and hence were rendered disconsolate and blind to the beauties and the wonders of the place. Half-dome rears its ice-scarred head fully 5,000 feet above the level floor of Yosemite Valley. In the name itself of this great rock, half-dome, lies an accurate and complete description. Nothing more nor less is it than a cyclopean rounded dome, "'split in half as cleanly as an apple that's divided by a knife. "'It is, perhaps, quite needless to state that but one half remains, hence its name, "'the other half having been carried away by the great ice river "'in the stormy time of the glacial period. "'In that dim day, one of those frigid rivers gouged a mighty channel from out the solid rock. "'This channel today is Yosemite Valley. "'But to return to the half-dome.' On its northeastern side, by circuitous trails and stiff climbing, one may gain the saddle. 
Against the slope of the dome, the saddle leans like a gigantic slab, and from the top of this slab, one thousand feet in length, curves the great circle to the summit of the dome. A few degrees too steep for unaided climbing, these one thousand feet defied for years the adventurous spirits who fixed yearning eyes upon the crest above. One day, a couple of clear-headed mountaineers had proceeded to insert iron eye-bolts into holes which they drilled into the rock every few feet apart. But when they found themselves three hundred feet above the saddle, clinging like flies to the precarious wall with, with on either hand a yawning abyss, their nerves failed them, and they abandoned the enterprise. So it remained for an indomitable Scotchman, one George Anderson, finally to achieve the feat. Beginning where they had left off, drilling and climbing for a week, he had at last set foot upon that awful summit and gazed down into the depths where Mirror Lake reposed, nearly a mile beneath. In the years which followed, many bold men took advantage of the huge rope ladder which he had put in place, but one winter ladder, cables and all, were carried away by the snow and ice. True, most of the eye-bolts, twisted and bent, remained. But few men had since essayed the hazardous undertaking, and of those, few more than one gave up his life on the treacherous heights, and not one succeeded. But Gus Lafee and Hazard Van Dorn had left the smiling valley land of California and journeyed into the high Sierras, intent on the great adventure. And thus it was that their disappointment was deep and grievous when they awoke on this morning to receive the forestalling message of the little white flag. Camped at the foot of the saddle last night and went up at the first peep of day, Hazard ventured, long after the silent breakfast had been tucked away and the dishes washed. Gus nodded. It was not in the nature of things that a youth's spirits should long remain at low ebb, and his tongue was beginning to loosen. I guess he's down by now, lying in camp and feeling as big as Alexander, the other went on, and I don't blame him either, only I wish it were we. Yeah, you can be sure he's down, Gus spoke up at last. It's mighty warm on that naked rock with the sun beating down on it at this time of year. That was our plan, you know. "'to go up early and come down early. "'And any man, sensible enough to get to the top, "'is bound to have sense enough to do it "'before the rock gets hot and his hands get sweaty. "'And you can be sure he didn't take his shoes with him.' "'Hazard rolled over on his back "'and lazily regarded the speck of flag "'fluttering briskly on the sheer edge of the precipice. "'Say,' he sat up with a start, "'what's that?' "'A metallic ray of light flashed out from the summit of Half Dome, "'then a second and a third. The heads of both boys were craned backward on the instant, agog with excitement. "'What a duffer!' Gus cried. "'Why didn't he come down when it was cool?' Hazard shook his head slowly, as if the question were too deep for immediate answer, and they had better defer judgment. The flashes continued, and as the boys soon noted, at irregular intervals of duration and disappearance. Now they were long, now short, and again they came and went with great rapidity, or seized altogether for several moments at a time. I have it! Hazard's face lighted up with the coming of understanding. I have it! That fellow up there is trying to talk to us. He's flashing the sunlight down to us on a pocket mirror. Dot, dash, dot, dash. Don't you see? The light also began to break in Gus's face. Ah, I know. It's what they do in wartime. They're signaling. They call, it, they call it heliographing, don't they? Same thing as telegraphing, 
"'only it's done without wires. "'And they use the same dots and dashes, too.' "'Yeah, the Morse alphabet. "'I wish I knew it. "'Same here. "'He surely must have something to say to us, "'or he wouldn't be kicking up all that rumpus.' "'Still the flashes came and went persistently, "'till Gus exclaimed, "'That chap's in trouble. "'That's what's the matter with him. "'Most likely he's hurt himself or something or the other.' "'Go on,' Hazard scouted. "'Gus got out the shotgun "'and fired both barrels three times in rapid succession. "'A perfect flutter of flashes came back "'before the echoes had seized their antics. "'So unmistakable was the message "'that even doubting Hazard was convinced "'that the man who had forestalled them "'stood in some grave danger. "'Quick, Gus!' he cried. "'And pack. I'll see to the horses. "'Our trip hasn't come to nothing after all. "'We've got to go right up Half Dome and rescue him. "'Where's the map? "'How do we get to the saddle?' "'Gus read from the guidebook. "'Taking the horse trail below the Fernal Falls. "'One mile of brisk traveling "'brings the tourist to a world-famed Nevada Fall. "'Close by, rising up in all its pomp and glory, "'the Cap of Liberty stands guard. "'Skip all that!' Hazard impatiently interrupted. "'The trail's what we want.' "'Oh, here it is. "'Following this trail, "'following the trail up the side of the fall "'will bring you to the forks. "'The left one leads to Little Yosemite Valley, "'Clouds Rest, and other points.' "'Hold on, that'll do. "'I've got it on the map now,' "'again interrupted Hazard. "'From the Clouds Rest Trail, "'a dotted line leads off the Half Dome. "'That shows the trail's abandoned. "'We'll have to look sharp to find it. "'It's a day's journey. "'And to think of all that traveling.' "'when right here we're at the bottom of the dome,' Gus complained, "'staring up wistfully at the goal. "'That's because this is Yosemite, "'and all the more reason for us to hurry. "'Come on, be lively now.' "'Well used as they were to trail life, "'but few minutes sufficed to see the camp equipage "'on the backs of the pack horses and the boys in the saddle. "'In the late twilight of that evening "'they hobbled their animals in a tiny mountain meadow "'and cooked coffee and bacon for themselves "'at the very base of the saddle. "'Here, also, before they turned into their blankets, "'they found the camp of the unlucky stranger "'who was destined to spend the night "'on the naked roof of the dome. "'We'll return to our show "'right after this sponsor message. "'And now, back to our show. "'Dawn was brightening into day "'when the panting lads threw themselves "'down at the summit of the saddle "'and began taking off their shoes. "'Looking down from the great height, they seemed perched upon the ridge pole of the world, and even the snow-crowned Sierra peaks seemed beneath them. Directly below, on the one hand, lay Little Yosemite Valley, half a mile deep. On the other hand, Big Yosemite, a mile. Already the sun's rays were striking about the adventurers, but the darkness of night still shrouded up the two great gulfs into which they peered. And above them, bathed in the full day, rose only the majestic curve of the dome, "'What's that for?' Gus asked, pointing to a leather-shielded flask which Hazard was securely fastening in his shirt pocket. "'Dutch courage, of course,' was the reply. "'We'll need all our nerve in this undertaking, and a little bit more. "'And,' he tapped the flask significantly, "'here's a little bit more.' "'Good idea,' Gus commented. "'How they'd ever come possessed of this erroneous idea would be hard to discover, but they were young yet,' and there remained for them many uncut pages of life. Believers also in the efficacy of whiskey as a remedy for snakebite, 
they had brought with them a fair supply of medicine chest liquor. As yet, they had not touched it. "'Have some before we start?' Hazard asked. Gus looked into the gulf and shook his head. "'Better wait till we get up higher and the climbing's more ticklish.' Some seventy feet above them projected the first eye-bolt. The winter accumulations of ice had twisted and bent it down till it did not stand more than a bare inch and a half above the rock. A most difficult object to lasso at such a distance. Time and again Hazard coiled his lariat in true cowboy fashion and made the cast, and time and time again he was baffled by the elusive peg. Nor could Gus do better. Taking advantage of inequalities in the surface, they scrambled twenty feet up the dome, "'and found they could rest in a shallow crevice. "'The cleft side of the dome was so near "'that they could look over its edge from the crevice "'and gaze down the smooth vertical wall "'for nearly two thousand feet. "'It was yet too dark down below for them to see further. "'The peg was now fifty feet away, "'but the path they must cover to get to it was quite smooth "'and ran at an inclination of nearly fifty degrees. "'It seemed impossible in that intervening space to find a resting place. Either the climber must keep going up, or he must slide down. He could not stop. But just here rose the danger. The dome was fear-shaped, and if he should begin to slide, his course would be, not to the point from which he had started and where the saddle would catch him, but off to the south toward little Yosemite. This meant a plunge of half a mile. I'll try it, Gus said simply. They knotted the two lariats together so that they had over a hundred feet of rope between them, and then each boy tied an end to his waist. "'If I slide,' Gus cautioned, "'come in on the slack and brace yourself. "'If you don't, you'll follow me, and that would be all of it.' "'Aye, aye,' was the confident response. "'Better take a nip before you start.' Gus glanced at the preferred bottle. He knew himself and of what he was capable. "'Wait till I make the peg and you join me.' Already? Aye. He struck out like a cat on all fours, clawing energetically as he urged his upward progress, his comrade paying out the rope carefully. At first his speed was good, but gradually it dwindled. Now he was fifteen feet from the peg. Now ten, now eight, but going on, oh, so slowly. Hazard, looking up from his crevice, felt a contempt for him and disappointment in him. It did look easy. Now Gus was five feet away, and after a painful effort, four feet. But when only a yard intervened, he came to a standstill. Not exactly a standstill, for, like a squirrel in a wheel, he maintained his position on the face of the dome only by the most desperate clawing. He had failed. That was evident. The question now was how to save himself. With a sudden, cat-like movement, he whirled over on his back, caught his heel in a tiny, saucer-shaped depression, and sat up. Then his courage failed him. Day had at last penetrated to the floor of the valley, and he was appalled at the frightful distance. "'Go ahead and make it!' Hazard ordered, but Gus merely shook his head. "'Then come down!' Again he shook his head. This was his ordeal, to sit nerveless and insecure, on the brink of the precipice. But Hazard, lying safely in his crevice, now had to face his own ordeal, but one of a different nature. When Gus began to slide, as he soon must, 
Would he, Hazard, be able to take in the slack, and then meet the shock as the other tautened the rope and darted toward the plunge? It seemed doubtful. And there he lay, apparently safe, but in reality harnessed to death. Then rose the temptation. Why not cast off the rope about his waist? He would be safe at all events. It was a simple way out of the difficulty. There was no need that two should perish. But it was impossible for such temptation to overcome his pride of race, and his own pride in himself and in his honor. So the rope remained about him. "'Come down,' he ordered. But Gus seemed to have become petrified. "'Come down!' he threatened. "'Or I'll drag you down!' He pulled on the rope to show he was in earnest. "'Don't you dare!' Gus articulated through his clenched teeth. "'I'm sure I will, if you don't come!' Again he jerked a rope. With a despairing gurgle, Gus started, doing his best to work sideways from the plunge. Hazard, every sense on the alert, almost exulting in his perfect coolness, took in the slack with deft rapidity. Then, as the rope began to tighten, he braced himself. The shock drew him half out of the crevice, but he held firm and served as the center of the circle, while Gus, with the rope as a radius, described the circumference and ended up on the extreme southern edge of the saddle. A few moments later, Hazard was offering him the flask. "'Take some yourself,' Gus said. "'No, you. I don't need it. I'm past needing it.' Evidently Gus was dubious of the bottle and its contents. Hazard put it away in his pocket. "'Are you game?' he asked. "'Or are you going to give it up?' "'Never,' Gus protested. "'I'm game. No Lafie ever showed the white feather yet. And if I did lose my grit up there, it was only for the moment, sort of like seasickness. I'm all right now.' "'and I'm going to the top.' "'Good,' encouraged Hazard. "'You lie in the crevice this time, "'and I'll show you how easy it is.' "'But Gus refused. "'He held that it was easier and safer for him to try again, "'arguing that it was less difficult for his 116 pounds "'to cling to the smooth rock "'than for Hazard's 165. "'Also that it was easier for 165 pounds "'to bring a sliding 116 to a stop "'than vice versa.' and further, that he had the benefit of his previous experience. Hazard saw the justice of this, although it was with great reluctance that he gave in. Success vindicated Gus's contention. The second time, just as if it seemed as if his slide would be repeated, he made a last supreme effort and gripped the coveted peg. By means of the rope, Hazard quickly joined him. The next peg was nearly sixty feet away, but for nearly half that distance the base of some glacier in the forgotten past had ground a shallow furrow. Taking advantage of this, it was easy for Gus to lasso the eyebolt. And it seemed, as was really the case, that the hardest part of the task was over. True, the curve steepened to nearly sixty degrees above them, but a comparatively unbroken line of eyebolts, six feet apart, awaited the lads. They no longer had even to use the lasso, Standing on one peg, it was child's play to throw the bite of the rope over the next and to draw themselves up to it. A bronzed and bearded man met them at the top and gripped their hands in hearty fellowship. "'Talk about your Mont Blancs!' he exclaimed, pausing in the midst of greeting them to survey the mighty panorama. "'But there's nothing on all the earth 
nor over it, nor under it, to compare with this. Then he recollected himself and thanked them for coming to his aid. No, he was not hurt or injured in any way. Simply because of his own carelessness, just as he had arrived at the top the previous day, he had dropped his climbing rope. Of course it was impossible to descend without it. Did they understand heliographing? No? Well, that was strange. How did they know to save him? Oh, we knew something was the matter, Gus interrupted, from the way you flashed when we fired off the shotgun. Did you find it pretty cold last night without blankets? Hazard queried. I should say so. I've hardly thawed out yet. Have some of this. Hazard shoved the flask over to him. The stranger regarded him quite seriously for a moment, then said, "'My dear fellow, do you see that row of pegs? "'Since it is my honest intention to climb down them very shortly, "'I am forced to say no. "'No, I don't think I'll have any, though I thank you just the same.' "'Hazard glanced at Gus and then put the flask back in his pocket. "'But when they pulled the doubled rope through the last eye-bolt "'and set foot on the saddle, he again drew out the bottle. "'Now that we're down, we don't need it,' he remarked pithily. "'And I've about come to the conclusion "'that there isn't very much in Dutch courage after all.' "'He gazed up the great curve of the dome. "'Look what we've done without it.' "'Several seconds thereafter, a party of tourists, "'gathered at the margin of Mirror Lake, "'were astounded at the unwanted phenomenon of a whiskey flask "'descending upon them like a comet out of the clear sky. "'And all the way back to the hotel, "'they marveled greatly at the wonders of nature.' especially meteorites. Thanks for joining us for Jack London's Dutch Courage. We'll return next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time with a brand new episode. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Thanks for joining us. Everyone stay safe, and we'll be back soon.